read about and hear about today. So let's stand together if we can. Let's stand for the reading of the word. Now today, you don't have to read it. We've got uh, a couple of folks that are going to read it. Guillermo, uh, why don't you get started? Are you starting? So let's read the word of God. Listen to the word of the Lord. Enter through the narrow way, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Did you not prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? Perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thank you. It's the word of the Lord. If you remain standing for just a moment, this is a hard word, but it is the word of Jesus, and it is a word, the title today is Finding the Narrow Road. Finding the Narrow Road, a warning and encouragement for church folks. You can, I think that's on the next slide, but there you go. Finding the Narrow Road, a warning and encouragement for church folks. Let me pray. Father God, use these few minutes as we come before your word, I pray, to do what your Holy Spirit wants to do in each one of our lives. Stir up our affection for you, Lord God. Show us places where you want to move in our lives. And Lord, do the work that only a mighty God can do. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So briefly today, the main idea of what we're going to talk about today is simply this. That following Jesus on the narrow road that leads to life means that your life is built around pleasing Him. Your life on the narrow road is a life that is built around pleasing God. That is completely foreign to our culture. As a matter of fact, it's not just our culture. That's foreign to any culture in the history of the earth if people are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But this is the call of God to this narrow road to build your life around pleasing Him. And so we're going to look at two ways that we do that. How do you find the narrow road? Number one, by honestly assessing, first of all, what road you're on. Because the Bible, Jesus is speaking these words to disciples. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is preached to disciples. These are those those who have followed Jesus. They've been with him. They're checking him out. He's teaching them. They are called disciples, and yet he preaches this word to them because he knows that not everyone who thinks they're on the narrow road actually is. And so it's a word of warning here, but we want to assess what road we're on. And secondly, How do you find the narrow road? By making it your desire to please God. This is what narrow road living is. 
it is my desire to please and honor the God who created me. The God who sustains me, who keeps my heart beating day after day. The God who redeemed me from sin and shame and set my feet on a rock. And the God who promises that one day I will see him in glory and I'll be like him because I'll see him as he is. Amen. This is making it our desire to please God. How do you find the narrow road? So let's just jump into these verses then. How do you find the narrow road? Number one, by honestly assessing which road you're on. Verse 13 says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. We see this word here over and over again, road or way. It talks about two different roads. It can also be uh, uh, understood uh, as way. It's often translated as way in the scriptures. It's the same word either way. And so I want you to, I want to look at what that word is. The nature of this word, road or way. The the Greek there is odos. It's comprehensively a way of living. It's often used of a literal road, but then often in here, it's used as as an entire way of life. And so you see this through the scriptures over and over again. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way, there's a road that seems like the right way for us to go. There's a way that seems right to a man. He says, but the end thereof leads where? Only to destruction, only to death. Jesus, in John 14, 6, said it real simple. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The the way or the road, there are two paths that Jesus is pointing out here to his disciples and saying, you've got to understand what road you're on in the first place. And so there are two roads that he talks about. The first road is the road that leads to destruction. He says, uh, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Now, here's my picture of the broad road. Some of you have been there. I was there years ago. I don't know where this is, but you know what this is. This is like the lazy river ride when you go to the theme park. And it's a nice ride. I like it more than the roller coasters, y'all. Some of y'all like the roller coasters. I just can't take it no more. But you get in your little inner tube. And wherever the stream goes, that's where you go. (laughs) You you can have a little drink in your hand. Hopefully a God-honoring drink in your hand. You can can have a little drink in your hand. You make sure your sunscreen is on because, you know, you're under the sun and you can even have a little something. I don't know if they let you have food on there. I don't know what they do, but but it's an easy way to go. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to paddle. You're not going against the stream. You're going with the stream. The lazy river is the wide road, and many are those who enter it. You just simply go with the flow. But the verse says it leads somewhere. Where does it lead? Imagine if that's at the end of your lazy river ride. Some of y'all know what that is. That is Angel Falls in Venezuela, over 3,000 feet high, the highest waterfall in the 
on the earth. And imagine you're on your little lazy river, river ride. You're just chilling, you're maxing, and you are relaxing. You are just having a great time, but that's where it goes. The Bible says that the end thereof leads to destruction. This easy, comfortable, don't have to work at it way leads to destruction. Brothers and sisters, I know some of you have watched the movie The Matrix. I may have talked about that before, but... I am more and more and more convinced that one of the things that the enemy of my soul and your soul is doing is lulling us to sleep as believers to think that things in this world have ultimate importance that really just don't. Our minds are so fixated on temporary fleeting things. Now, we can enjoy many of the great things God has for us in life. We've got to work hard at some things, and there's things we have to pay attention to. But we get caught up in such a way that we think that these things that are not ultimate are ultimate. We're caught in a matrix of lies in this world. We're caught in this matrix. What has captured you? What has begun to have way more importance than it should. What is it? What is it? For all of us, there could be things. They could be good things in and of themselves. Your reputation is something that's important. Your finances are important. Your family is important. There are other things that we enjoy. You enjoy movies, you enjoy sports, you enjoy video games. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, so to speak. But they begin to occupy a part in your life and the amount of your brain that is way out of whack with their actual importance. You're in the matrix. And you easily get caught in this lazy river ride. You don't have to fight it. You just go with the flow. But the scripture says that way of living leads to destruction. There's another way. There's another road. Verse 14, he says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. He says, and only a few find it. It is a narrow road. It's a restricted road. It's a road that takes effort to get through. You don't get through it just because you're chilling. You've got to fight to make it through this road. You've got to work to make it through this road. Listen, the Christian life, we, we're, we're saved by grace, but we're saved to work. Amen? We're saved to do works for God, which he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them, Ephesians 2 and 10. And and, and to walk through this life of salvation, we've got to walk through it with great effort in Jesus Christ. And so let's look at comparing these two roads, contrasting these two roads or these two ways. You can put it up there. First of all, the direction of the wide road is simply going with the flow. It's the easy way. The narrow road is going upstream. It's the hard way. 
many of you know about salmon and a little bit of what salmon have to go through in order to lay their eggs and spawn. But there are certain types of salmon. Chinook salmon, for one, is a Pacific salmon that many of them come from uh, stream beds in Idaho over 900 miles away from the ocean. And so they're born there. They go out to the ocean. They come back all these years later in order to spawn. That is, the females lay the eggs. They build a nest. They're able to go to exactly the same spot somehow where they were born, and they go back up there, and it's over 900 miles through streams going against the current, going up waterfalls. Some of them can uh, jump up to 12 feet in the air to get over these waterfalls. They're, they're, everything about their body changes as they go through this. When they're on their way to spawn, they don't eat from the time they, they, their body begins to change until they get back to that spawning spot because they know they're going there to give life and to die. And it's interesting that in, in that process, the, the female lays the eggs and builds the nest, and sometimes there's up to 5,000 eggs there, but the male actually grows canine-like teeth during that time to watch out over the nest and to fight off predators. All these changes happen in order for this species to continue and to go on, and it's a fight, and there are bears here and otters here and sails, uh, seals here, and there are fishermen there, but they go anyway. It's the hard way. It speaks to me a lot of what the Christian life is like. It's going upstream through difficulties. The preoccupation of the wide road is me. It's me. It's my personal comfort. Lord, make my life nice. (laughs) We all want it easy. We all want it nice. Anyone here that wants life hard on purpose, like we need to talk after service. But the reality is, no matter how you want it, that's not how you get it. And as a believer in Christ, we go through many toils and trials and difficulties in this walk with God. So do non-Christians. Everybody's going to go through it. But the preoccupation with the believer on the narrow road is doing God's will and loving others well. That's what my mind is stayed on. Finally, the result in the wide road is constant frustration because no matter how much you love this lazy river ride and you just don't want to work at it, life just does not work that way. We're in a world fallen. We're in a world sinful. Our bodies have the marks of that in them. Get a little older and you'll know what I mean. Our minds and our spirit, everything, it's all over us. It's there. And so even if we succeed and we get what we fought for, what we've wanted all our lives, and if we think now I'm on the lazy river ride, you'll find out that you're not. And the revelation of that after your success is worse than the fight to get there in the first place. The preoccupation is, or the result, is constant frustration because life doesn't work. But for the believer in the narrow road, there's satisfaction. Real satisfaction. Philippians 3, Paul talks about the peace of God, 
that surpasses all understanding and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say it's just the peace of God that you can, if you look at it, if you put one plus one plus one, you get three, you can put it together and understand it. No, he says there is a peace of God that surpasses understanding. There's a peace of God that with what you're going through, what's happening in your life, and you have peace, it doesn't make any sense. There is a peace of God for the believer whose mind is stayed upon Jehovah, who is, whose heart is given to do the will of God, and who desires to honor him and please him with their life. There is a peace and a satisfaction that nothing in this world can substitute for. That is the narrow road. So you've got to look at where am I in that regard? What road am I on? Number two, how do you find the narrow road? How do you find the narrow road? I see it says point one again. That's because I messed up. But it's actually point two. <laughs> how do you find the narrow road? Number two, by making it your desire to please God. This is not complicated stuff. This is simple stuff, which never means it's easy stuff. Amen? Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. You find the narrow road by making it your desire to please God. Look at verse 21. We're going down to verse 21 here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll stop there for a second. Lip service is never enough. He says, not, just not everyone who says to me, Lord, but you double up on the Lord, right? You're doubling it up. They say to me, Lord, Lord, wow, that person must really love God because they're coming and they're saying, Lord, Lord, but he says, just because you say the right words, that doesn't get you into the kingdom. Not everyone who has learned the language of Christianese is a member of the kingdom. That's what the scripture is saying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But only, he says, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not enough just to say it. James puts it this way in James 2.17. Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It's a hard list of things to, to read. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. None of us wants to think about ourselves that way. But I'll bet when you go through that list, there's something that kind of feels like a little ping in your heart or your mind, right? He says, in, the, in these last days, these terrible times, this mark, marks folks. But look at verse 5. Even the folks who are marked by all these things, 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, without self-control, all of these things, he says, but these people are having a form of godliness, but denying its power. A form of godliness. Brothers and sisters, that concerns me so much that there, it is easy to have a form of godliness. It is easy to say Christ who is first in my life and give a testimony. It is easy to talk about the Lord at certain times and in certain places and in certain ways, but you can have a form of godliness. It looks like it from the outside, but you deny the power of God that works on you from the inside. There's a power of God getting a hold of a man, of a woman, of a child whose eyes are set on Jesus that is powerful. It's not just lip service. It's Holy Ghost power in the life of a person who makes it their aim to love God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Giving lip service to God without changing your priorities is an act of self-deception. And this is what the scripture says that ultimately leads to eternal separation from God. This is the essence of half-hearted religion. I know that's a hard word, but that's that's a word that Jesus, what Jesus is trying to tell us here. Don't let, don't get fooled by what you say with your lips. You can say, Lord, Lord. You can say a nice prayer. You, you, you can have all these forms of godliness in your life, but by your life, you are actually denying the power of God himself. Jesus wants more. He doesn't want your lips alone. He wants all of you. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, your soul, your spirit, your body, every member of who you are, God wants all of you. And he wants all of me. Not only is lip service not enough, but look at verse 22. He says, many of you will say to me on that day, here we go again, Lord, Lord. And look at this. Did we not prophesy in your name? We prophesied. And in your name, drive out demons. We exercise some demons. I don't mean exercise like having them do squat thrusts. I mean exercise like getting rid of them, right? Did we not drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Wow, if anybody knows the Lord, it's those who prophesied. It's those who cast out demons. It's those who did many miracles in your name. And again, with Lord, Lord on it. And you'll see three times in that scripture, it says, in your name, in your name, in your name. We did it in your name, Lord, Lord, we did it in your name. And Jesus says, verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Jesus says, the prophesying, miracle-working 
demon casting out, Lord, Lord, saying people, I never knew you. What is he saying? He's saying, this is the language of exclusion from the family. You're you're, you're not a part of the family. Brothers and sisters, let's not get too impressed by people's gifts or by our own gifts. Don't get impressed by people's reputation and what they can do and, and how they're used mightily by God. That doesn't mean a whole lot. God can give gifts to anyone. He can use a donkey to save a prophet. God is all-powerful. He can give out gifts, and we should not prostitute those gifts. We should not use them the wrong way, but they're sovereignly poured out by God, and your gifting does never, does not reflect your spiritual maturity. Look at the Corinthians. If there was a church that was gifted, it was the Corinthians, and yet they were a hot mess with a capital H, a capital O, and a capital T. Gifted, powerful, miracles, prophecies, tongues, and immature as you can be. But here it's worse than that because Paul still said to the saints that are at Corinth, here it's worse than that because he says, not only are you're not just immature, you're not even in the family. You're not in the family. I never knew you. Look what he says. At the end of that verse, away from me, you evildoers. Away from me, you evildoers. That's a quote from Psalm 6, 8. As David is being persecuted, David is a righteous man suffering from the unrighteous. And he says, depart from me, you evildoers. And now Jesus is saying the same Apart from me, you evildoers. The the word there, evildoers, is a Greek word, anomia. Now, nomos is a Greek word that means law. So whenever you have a Greek word, if you put an A in front of it, that negates it. So it's the opposite of that. So, anomia, to behave with complete disregard for the laws or regulations of society, to live lawlessly, Lawlessness, lawless living, to live as if there were no laws. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You are powerful in your prophesying. You are powerful, and I have even used you to cast out demons. You've done miracles, but in terms of the ethic and the walk of your life, you act as if God has no law. You act as if you can do what you please to do when you please to do it. And he says, because of this, I don't even know who you are. We're going to look at why that is in just a moment. Matter of fact, let's look at it right now. A converted heart desires to please God. Brothers and sisters, hear me. When our hearts are converted, we desire to please God. I want to look at Romans 6. For just a few minutes here, Romans 6, starting in verse 1, Scripture says these words, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Paul has just 
begun this treatise to the Romans where in the first couple of chapters he lays out the need for every single person, Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, no matter where you are or where you're from, from, he says, you need God. You need to be saved. And then from the middle of verse chapter 3 through chapter 5, he lays out the way of justification by faith alone, not works, but only, only and ever faith. It is the finished work of Christ that gets you into the kingdom. Nothing that you ever have done, are doing, or will do. It's the good news. But it begs the question that Paul comes and deals with here in chapter 6. And in chapter 6, 7, and 8, he lays out the way of sanctification. That is how God progressively makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. But the question is, if all of this has been done and works play no part in my justification, it's an honest question. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Should we do that? But he has a definitive answer. I don't know if the translation can really do it uh, justice. NIV says, by no means. I think it's a little stronger than that. It's like, no way, impossible. It cannot happen. The Greek phrase is me genoita. That sounds cool to me. I heard my brother say, de inguna manera. Did you get that, Guillermo? Did I do it good? Okay, good. I worked on that, y'all. Trying to help my brothers and sisters. De inguna manera. Me No way. No, it can't be like that. Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound, that grace may increase? No, we cannot do that. Why not? Why can't we do that? Here's what we need to understand. We need to understand what a Christian is in the faith. A Christian is a person whose life has been forever changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. A person is not just someone who responded to a call and said a prayer and said some words, but a Christian is a person who has received from God a new heart. A heart, Ezekiel 36 says, that is soft, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. It's a person that has received into their life the Holy Spirit of God who now lives on the inside of them. A Christian is a person who is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, things have become new. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a Christian is a whole different kind of person. And because of who they are, they are no longer able to live in this environment of sin without any compulsion or without any, any conviction by the Holy Spirit. It becomes impossible to live that way as a Christian. Not that we don't struggle with sin. Not that we don't fail sometimes in sin. Not that we're not hurt by it. But we become people who can't ask that question. Why don't I just keep on sinning that grace may abound? That's not a Christian question. Not at all. 
And so he says in verse 2, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We just can't live that way anymore. That's misery to the believer. I want you to look at Romans 6 again. Drop down to verse 11. Just for a moment. Verse 11. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In 11 through 14, he's building on the reality that he's written out in the verses between what we've just seen of the fact that being a Christian is primarily a person who is attached to Jesus Christ. Your life is in union with Jesus Christ. Your life is in union in that you died with him and that you were raised again with him in power. That is what a Christian is. Your life has now been united to the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, because of this, he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. He actually gives two positive commands here and two negative commands in 11 through 14. He says, count yourselves dead to sin. But then later on in verse 13, in the middle of the verse, he says, offer yourselves to God as those. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Don't present yourself. Don't present yourself in, at the beginning of 13. Don't offer, your, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. He says we're making an offer. What offer do we make as believers? The offer is to say, Lord, here I am. All that I am belongs to you. My life is yours. I offer my hands. I offer my feet. I offer my mouth. I offer my eyes. I offer my imagination. I offer everything about me. I offer my plans. I offer my desires. I offer my family. I offer my vocation. I offer my life. I offer it all to you. Offer yourselves to God and the members of your body as instruments righteousness you see we are new creations in Christ and so we offer ourselves to him and him alone listen I, I prayed a lot and I had people praying for me this week to give this message because it's a message that can get twisted and I my prayer is that the enemy won't get in and twist this message in people's lives because many people are loving you love the Lord you're you're walking with the Lord, but you're struggling, and maybe you've been failing pretty bad. But the message of the word of the Lord says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, as Paul goes through in 6, 7, and 8, Romans 6, 7, and 8, 6 lays out the imperative that we are not to offer ourselves we are to not consider we are to consider ourselves as those who are dead to sin 
We don't offer our bodies and don't let sin reign over us, verse 12. We don't allow that to happen. But when we fail and when we fall, he's going to lay out in chapter 7 the way of the law to help us through. And he says, at the end of the day, the law cannot help you. It doesn't help you at all. Look at verse 14. I love this. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master. That word there is a verbal form of Lord, kurios. Sin is not your Lord. Now I love this. Why? Because you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin is not your Lord. You're not under the law anymore, he says. But you're under grace. To the believer, the law comes. And you see it in chapter 7 of Romans. It points out your sin every time you sin. You been there? I've been there. When we sin, law points it out and it says, Aha! I've got you. That's who you really are. Talk about all this Jesus stuff, but look, you done done it again. Look, you said you'd never do it again a thousand times, and you're here again the same way. Look at you. The law comes, and the law condemns. And the law doesn't offer you a pinky to help you with your sin. It condemns. But the grace of God is something different altogether. The grace of God is life. The grace of God is the promise of the finished work of God in Jesus Christ. The grace of God comes and sweeps in and tells us in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword Nothing can separate us. It goes on to say, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God does a saving work in his people. And he is able to save from the uttermost to the uttermost. Let me close with this, brothers and sisters. There is, in the Old Testament, towards the end, the third last book, I think, in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. Haggai is a prophet of God. And uh, in this little tiny book, three chapters, um, Haggai is preaching to the people of God. He gets four different oracles. It's a very unique book in the Bible because we know exactly the day in which he got each one of those. The one I'm about to tell you about came on the 29th of August in the year 520 B.C. He gives us the exact date. We can know the day. 
The people of God had been released from exile in Babylon about 18 years earlier. They went into the land because of the decree of Cyrus. And they said they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and they were to rebuild the temple of God. And they went there and they got to work on that temple. But in time, they stopped working on the temple. They stopped working on the temple almost altogether. And the temple continued to lay in ruins. And the scripture says that the Lord said, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And then the word of God comes to the prophet Haggai. Haggai says, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses? While the temple of the Lord lays in ruins. He says these words. You have sown much. You have planted much. But you harvest little. He says. You eat. But you never get full. You, you, you drink. But you never satisfied. You wear clothes, but you're not warm. You work and have wages, but your purses have holes in them. What is he talking about? These are the curses all over again, in part from Deuteronomy 28. He says, here you are, back in the land to build the temple, but you've made everything other than God and his work your priority. And because of that, you are living a life of consistent, conscious frustration. Finding what it is to live in a way where everything but God is your priority. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us not to the lazy river ride, but he's calling us to the narrow way of Jesus Christ. If you're struggling today, we have resources even at this church that can help you in that struggle. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry that's not only for people who may have drug or alcohol or pornography addictions, but whatever your hang-up and your struggle is, it is a place where you can come together with like-minded brothers and sisters, and it is a recovery program that's built around biblical principles to offer you freedom in Christ. And it meets every weeknight at 7 o'clock here in the basement. Tuesday, Tuesday, celebrate recovery as a resource it could be a food addiction. It could be a television addiction. It can be all kinds of things. You can get help. Then we also have unbound prayer. Thank God for unbound prayer. That is a place where if you are just stuck somewhere, you are able to get prayer and help in that time. And by God's grace, many people, not only here at New Life, but around the world, have been set free through unbound prayer. I encourage you to take advantage of these resources. I think there was a handout in the bulletins today. There's a handout in the bulletins today. 
And if you have an issue in your life that you're stuck at, I greatly encourage you to take advantage of these resources. If you want unbound prayer, you can just put your name and information on that sheet in the middle. You can pull it off and hand it in in the welcome center in the back after service. And you and someone will contact you to set up a time to meet with you and to pray with you. I just have a burden, y'all, to see God's people set free. My wife and I have been praying for one person in particular. We pray for a whole lot of folks, but I'm just thinking of this one prayer my wife comes to over and over and over again. She says, she is a child, she is a daughter of Abraham. Should she not be loosed? God wants to loose chains. He wants to break shackles. He wants to set people free. And if there are those under the sound of my voice, and you know, man, I heard all this, and I know I'd be lying to myself to say I'm actually on the narrow road. I'm not. There's good news. Jesus gives this message not so he will condemn people to that destruction, but to save people from it. There's good news. Jesus is right here. And he's right there for you. Let me pray as I close. Father God, I thank you again for your word, for the richness of your word. Encourage your people, God. Lord, if there are any that don't know you here, I pray that you won't let them go, that you will just be like a little burr in their side. They won't be comfortable until they come to you, Lord God. I pray that if there's anyone that's just been resisting and resisting and resisting the grace of God, that this can be a day of deliverance, conversion, salvation. And I pray for others, Lord God, who are struggling in the struggle of sin. Maybe some have lost hope. I've been trying to overcome this for so long. Oh God, I pray that your people will look at your word and will recognize and realize that there is hope in Jesus. There is power in Jesus Christ. He has overcome all that the enemy has done. He was raised with all power in his hand. So God, set your people free. Glorify your name, I pray in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. And-